This morning we're continuing at our kind of our, our brief look through the Gospel of John as we think through the light and life of Jesus. And so this morning we're going to read from John chapter 3, verses 1 through 21. So I invite you to hear these words. John says this, Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews, and he came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. And Jesus answered him, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light so that their deeds may not be exposed, but those who do what is true come to the light so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, we gather on this, the second Sunday of Advent, as we, with expectancy, await your arrival. We remember that you have come and that you will come again. So we pray that you would speak through this passage to us today that we might then also examine our own lives in light of your light. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. So as you know, probably as you heard, uh, when I was reading this passage, uh, this passage includes what is, has to be the most oft-quoted passage in all scripture. John 3 16, you know it, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but shall have eternal life. This 
text, John 3.16, it's kind of ubiquitous, right? I mean, you see it everywhere. Last night at the Big Ten championship game, maybe you saw it right in between the goalposts. There was a big sign that said John 3.16. You see it on billboards. People have it inked on their skin. It's everywhere, right? John 3.16 is incredibly prevalent, and for good reason, right? It's kind of the heart of the good news of the gospel. And John 3.16 has been popular for quite a while. This isn't just a recent phenomenon. In fact, Martin Luther in the 16th century said that John 3.16 is the gospel in a nutshell or the gospel in miniature. It is this great sign that God gave us Jesus Christ. He came down in order to be in relationship with us that we might have eternal life. It's a beautiful gospel message in John 3, 16. And yet, I wonder, in fact, I kind of had wished that I had been at that football game. Maybe next year some of you can keep that in mind. I, because I would have liked to have asked the guy who was holding the John three sixteen sign if he knew what came before or what came after John three sixteen. I have a feeling that many of those holding those signs, and quite frankly, perhaps many Christians altogether, may not actually know exactly the context in which we find John 3.16. And while it's a powerful verse, truth be told, if you take it and just kind of dangle it out there, it could become distorted, or at least we may not understand it as richly As we should. And so I thought, well, maybe this morning we can kind of look at what comes before and what comes after to see does it give us any more light on the message of John 3.16. And so we begin with what a story that most of us are probably familiar with, the story of Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, and you know, Pharisees get a pretty bad rap in the New Testament, understandably so in some ways, but they were also kind of God-fearers, the Pharisees were. I mean, these were people who by and large were devoted to God to be sure they oftentimes began to develop religious rules that they preferred to lean on. In fact, so much so that they would repeatedly in the New Testament miss out on Jesus altogether. But Nicodemus, well, Nicodemus seems to be perhaps of a different sort and Uh, Nicodemus, you know, Pharisees were by and large kind of successful people. They were people who liked to be in control of things. They were type A folks, if you will. I have a feeling Nicodemus would have lived in Carmel or Zionsville or North Indianapolis if he was around here. And something piqued Nicodemus's curiosity. There was something he saw in Jesus, and so he decided to go see him, and he did so at night. Now, there have been many people who have talked about why did he come at night? What are the reasons before that? Is is John trying to bring up something like the fact that Nicodemus is clearly in the dark, and that's what they want us to see? Here's another Pharisee who's behind things and doesn't understand Jesus. Or, or, Or is he trying to reveal the fact that he's walking toward the light, that there's hope for Nicodemus? Other more pedestrian understandings is that perhaps he just was afraid for any of his pharisaical friends to have seen him talk to Jesus. He didn't want that embarrassment or that shame, or maybe even he was afraid. And others wonder if perhaps he just wanted some quiet time with Jesus, just a bit of privacy to get away from the crowds and just try to understand him 
more. We don't know for sure because John doesn't tell us, which means in some ways it's an invitation for you to insert your own life into the story. Why might it be that you would prefer to talk to Jesus perhaps in the dark or perhaps when there is nobody else around? Nicodemus finds Jesus and he begins with a great compliment. He says to Jesus, uh, it's clear, Rabbi, that you are a teacher. You are sent from God. It's clear that you're from God because these signs, these things that you're doing, nobody could do outside the presence of God. There's clearly something unique about you. Now, some people think that he's just being flatter. Uh, he's just trying to flatter Jesus here, you know, try to get on his good side. You know how people do that, right? You see, my children do that all the time, right? They start by saying, oh, dad, you're so great. And you're like, okay, great. What do you want, right? I mean, this is kind of because Trust me, they don't ever just say that. So, so what, what, what is it that he's wanting here? And, and, and I think that, that, that he genuinely probably means this. He really thinks that there is something unique about Jesus. Now, it has been also pointed out that he just calls him a teacher. At this point, Jesus is just a teacher, which is this great reminder to us that when you're journeying with Jesus... The hope eventually is for you to move from just seeing him as a teacher to seeing him as Lord, as Savior, as the Messiah. That's what John 3.16 says, of course, is that he's much more than just a teacher. He is a great teacher, but that Jesus is more than that. But Jesus doesn't respond to this great compliment by, from Nicodemus at all, right? Well, we might be like, oh, well, thank you, that was kind, or oh, you didn't have to say that, but it's kind of true. Uh, I really am a pretty good teacher, right? No, he doesn't do that at all. In fact, Jesus just doesn't seem to answer him at all. He just begins to talk about how you have to be born again or born anew, or as the translation that I read says, born from above. It's a little confusing as to exactly what it means, but perhaps the best way to say it is just born again from above. In other words, what he's trying to say here is that something has to really change in you. John Calvin said that this is this great sign of the reality that, that when you if you want to know the kingdom of God, you don't get there by just trying to be a better person. You get there by having to be born completely anew, right? It's this great sign that none of us just become followers of Jesus on our own, right? In other words, if you think about it, physically, you were not born on your own. Are we aware of that? Usually when I ask questions like this, I'm always concerned that people don't know the answer to that question. You, it is a gift from your mother. I know it's awkward, but it's a gift from your mother and father that you were born, right? Jeez. All right, yes. <laughs> Just as it is a gift from God Almighty that you have spiritually been born, right? This is really important for us to understand, right? It is a gift from God Almighty, that we might be born anew from above. It's a whole new thing. This is not just a better version of yourself being a follower of Jesus. This is something altogether new. Now, Nicodemus is confused at this point, and understandably so. And Nicodemus gives what I kind of think is actually kind of a comedic answer, really. He's, 
He basically says, you know, what am I? I'm an old man here. Am I supposed to crawl back into my mother's womb? Right here, I think probably Nicodemus wishes he had some friends around so we could have gotten, you know, given him a high five after that great little jab he got at Jesus, right? This is how I think. And, uh, but, 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 you know, what are you talking about? What am I, I mean, am I supposed to do that? And that makes absolutely no sense. And on the one hand, that's not what Jesus means. But on the other hand, one of the things I appreciated, Dale Bruner brings this up, is how fascinating it is that Nicodemus begins to say this is impossible. When just moments before, he said to Jesus, wow, Jesus, we know that you must be from God because of the things you're doing. Only someone from God, only somebody from God could do these miraculous things that you are doing. And then in one moment, he says, what are you talking about? This, you can't do this. Do you notice what he's doing? He's going from saying, oh God, you're so amazing. You can do anything, right? I mean, do anything through Jesus to all of a sudden say, well, that's just not possible. How often do we do that? I brought this up several weeks ago. One of my more fascinating things is to be in a church committee. And how do we start? With prayer. Everyone starts with prayer. Oh, dear God, you're amazing. You can do anything. You're incredible. There's nothing too big for you. Amen. All right, guys, what can we do? No, we can't do that. That's impossible. Nope, nope, that will never happen. Nope, that's not going to be successful. It's never been successful before. Why would it be successful now? Oh, no, we're not big enough to be able to do that. Nope, we can't do that. Nope, can't do this. All of a sudden, you go from this moment of saying, God, you can do anything, to all of a sudden, all we can look at is through our own human lens and say, we can't do anything. You've been a part of one of those kind of meetings? No one wants to raise their hands. R.J. Pollock has been good. All right. This is what we do oftentimes, right? We see it with Nicodemus. It's just good. It's good to pay attention. We all do it just individually as well. All of us struggle with that. So Jesus then, he, he responds. He says, no, 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 that's, that's not what I'm really saying. He says, he begins to talk about water and, and spirit and, and winds that blow where they may and go to where they may go. And it seems like he's talking here probably about baptism, about the new birth that we think comes through baptism and reminding them again that the winds of the Spirit blow where they may. In other words, this isn't something that you have done on your own. This is what God has directed. And then Nicodemus, well, at this point, he is just completely lost because befuddled, he just says, how can, how can these things be? What are you talking about, Jesus? I love that answer. You see, if John was just kind of making this story up, he would have done one of two things because we don't like just this kind of how can this be. It's actually the very last thing that Nicodemus ever says verbally at all in the whole gospel. We don't ever, we don't ever hear, we see Nicodemus again, but we don't ever hear any other words from Nicodemus. It's the last, that's how he leaves us. See, if I was writing this and just making the story up, you would have Nicodemus say something like, and after he said these, after Jesus said these things, Nicodemus said, oh, now it all makes sense to me. And he immediately bowed down before Jesus and he became a follower of God, never to leave Jesus again. Or even a more definitive answer like, like Nicodemus saying, man, you are one crazy rabbi and just running away. That's at least clear. But instead, 
we are left with this image of a man in the darkness sitting next to the light of the world, scratching his head and saying, how can these things be? One of the things that I love about this image is that I think far too often there are too many people within the church oftentimes who make assumptions about the fact that everybody around them seems to understand all of the gospel, seems to understand everything about Jesus, and that he or she doesn't. And when you begin to think like that, you begin to wonder, well, I must not be close to Jesus at all because there's still a lot that confuses me. Maybe you're just hearing about Jesus for the first time. Maybe you've been following him for 20 or 30 or 40 years, but it still seems some of it you don't quite understand. And you can easily begin to think you must be far from Jesus, but the truth of the matter is you might very well be sitting right next to Jesus. In fact, I don't know why I want to get so high with that pitch, but in fact, one could suggest that the closer you get to Jesus at times, the more confusing it is. Because the closer you get to the one who is from above and is wholly different than how everything else around here works, the more at times you will begin to scratch your head and say, how can this be? How am I supposed to follow this? This is so otherworldly. You see, I love John 3.16. It is a simple message, but that doesn't mean it's always easily understandable. One of the great things, um, uh, uh, Scott already talked about the good Reverend Stan Johnson, our own beloved Stan Johnson, and he wrote this kind of workbook on the Gospel of John, and he said that the whole birth language is really critical because what it reveals is that just as nobody goes from infant to adult overnight, we, we know that that doesn't happen, right? We're good with that? Okay, good. Neither spiritually do you go from infant to mature Christian overnight. It is a long process, and through that process, you will have these times where you say, oh, I've really got this whole gospel thing figured out. I got Jesus figured out. And then something will happen. Maybe it's an experience that you go through. Maybe you read a particular scripture passage. Maybe it's because you've gone through a great banquet. Maybe it's because you're in a home group. Whatever it may be, where all of a sudden you're like, wait a second, I'm scratching. How can this? No, this doesn't make any sense. And it's all a part of the maturing process. And so wherever you are today, one of the things I want you to know is it seems to me that you are not here today just by happenstance, that the winds of the Spirit have brought you here because he wants you, the Spirit wants you to know that the good news of the gospel is true, that Jesus was born in this world for you. But at the same time, you should also know that you are surrounded by a bunch of Nicodemuses. That all of us, in one form or fashion, still wrestle in the darkness and are still together trying to walk toward the light. And the deeper you go in relationship with Jesus, the more things that you will discover that will confuse you. I, I can tell you that after 13 years of marriage to my wife, the more you get to know her, the more mysterious she is. Right? And the more she gets to know me, the more mysterious I am. And she knows more about me, and I know more about her than I did 13 years ago. But there are still things where you're like, wait, what? You've discovered, what is this? But it's all a part of growing in relationship. 
And so I love John 3.16, but what you also need to know is if you just try to detach and you say, oh, no, that's it. You just, all you got to do is know that and then everything else will make sense. I just don't think it's true. I think more often than not, we're on a journey with Nicodemus. And as you see again in chapter 7 and then chapter 19, you begin to see that Nicodemus has begun to grow in his faith. But it is a process. The gospel message is simple. But it can also be complex and confusing at times because it is from above. Now, there's one other thing, it seems to me, that we sometimes get confused about. There's many other things, but one more thing that I want to address today. Which is the fact that oftentimes we assume that because it's good news, John 3.16, good news, that's what gospel means, good news. That because it's good news, that must mean it's always easy news that it's never difficult news that it's never challenging news it's just good news because what happens is if you go on past 316 and then even 17 when you begin to hit verses 18 through 21 what you begin to see in that gospel of John chapter 3 is words like evil darkness condemnation and you begin to think well no wait that's not supposed to be in here this is just supposed to be good news it's just supposed to make us happy right it's just supposed to be like sugar plums and santa claus and it's just supposed to be all you know well, why do we have this in there 18 through 21 no 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 no, no. we don't want to talk about evil or darkness any of those things we just want there to be good news i mean if it's good news shouldn't it just be good why, did it, why does it need to be difficult or challenging? Or why does darkness even need to be a part of this? A couple of years ago, I told you all that um, Megan and I, after our fourth child was born, we had a real, a real decision to make as to whether or not we wanted to have any more children, if the Lord were to bless us to have any more, whether we wanted any more or not. And we had always kind of said we want four, if possible, but we'd have them one at a time, and, um, uh, and we did, uh, thankfully. And so, uh, and then after that, we would decide if we want any more, right? So we had four, and we were like, okay, this seems pretty good, right? And all right, do we want any more? And it probably was only a couple months into it when we realized that, that absolutely Lisa was going to be the last child that we ever had. It's just possible if she had been the first child, she also would have been the last child that we had. But we felt very clear, oh no, we were made to have four children. This is it. We cannot handle any more. Those of you who can handle more, I tip my hat to you. But there was a certain amount of sadness that came with that decision. Because there are things that are really exciting about having a baby. Right? The first time you hold the child, I mean, there's no words to just describe that, right? The first time you hear them kind of giggle, you know, or, or, or the first time that, 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 that she maybe looks at you and says, you know, you can tell that she recognizes you. Maybe you've been gone and you come back and you can just see the delight. Right? Those are remarkable moments. But probably the thing I most, one of the things I most enjoyed was just the anticipation of the whole thing. I love anticipating things. It's just a part of my makeup. I just, I love it, right? And so, and so I love the whole pregnancy test kind of thing, right? I always got really excited about, except, except for the cost. Pregnancy tests, I think, are really way too expensive. Can I get an amen on that? I feel like they must be made of gold, right? And so anyways, if you haven't, I don't know, priced a pregnancy test in a while, it's expensive. We haven't either. So, but 
But we were too cheap to get the ones that were really most clear, right? That would say yes or no, right? Ours just had like a line, one line if, it, if, there's, if there's no child, if you're not pregnant, two lines if you are pregnant, right? And so we'd, we'd sit there, you know, and we'd kind of look and be like, I don't know, I think, is that a second line? You think you see something? I think, it, no, it's a shadow. Okay, and so then we're like, oh, right. And then we, okay, well, they're not pregnant, right? So then we have to wait, right, till the next paycheck to see again, right? Because again, they're so expensive. And so, but when it was a positive test, oh, ho, ho, there was a celebration, right? You, we're grabbing onto each other. We're calling our family and our closest friends, you know? We're, we're, I mean, we're literally like jumping up and down. I mean, we're so excited, right? I mean, this is incredibly good news, right? We, we go out for a celebratory dinner, right? Megan and I, we start looking up other weird names to call your children, right? That's how we got the names of all of our children in a weird names book. And so we kind of, we look through all of that. Oh, we haven't tried Bromwin yet. Let's do that. All right, right? This is kind of what we do. It's incredibly good news. There's no question. But then the child is born. And I remember, especially with the firstborn, everything changes on a dime. Because all of a sudden, this isn't just this kind of theoretical, wow, this is going to be so good. It's going to be so fun. It's going to be so wonderful. This is great. All of a sudden, you are holding this living, breathing, little baby. And all of your vulnerabilities are exposed in this child. For us, within, within just a few minutes, everything kind of went haywire with Shaughnessy. She turned blue, like really blue, like Smurf blue. And we thought, ah, and they rushed her down to NICU. And so we had to deal with that for several days. And she obviously she turned out fine. But, but, but you know, all of a sudden there, you're like, you're, you're, you're panicky. And you realize, whoa, I'm not in control anymore. And I thought this was just good news. But now I'm just fearful and anxious and petrified. What if something goes wrong, right? And... Within a couple of days, you begin to see, man, my sleeping patterns have been forever changed. I will never sleep like I did before children. Within a few days or a few weeks, all of a sudden, you begin to see that your wallet will never be the same. Because NICU bills are not cheap. And diapers are relentless and they need them. And so all of a sudden, you begin to see all of these things are different. Your whole life is beginning to change. You're incredibly vulnerable in just a moment. It's beginning to cost you literally and figuratively everything. You begin to see darkness in places you hadn't seen darkness before, especially when you have four daughters like we have. Darkness is in every boy that I see. Now, if you were to ask me, is this still good news? I would tell you beyond the shadow of a doubt, it is incredible news. But that doesn't mean it's also not costly and vulnerable and that there aren't moments of darkness in the midst of that good news. In fact, it seems to me there might be a direct correlation between the better the news, the more vulnerable and difficult that news can also be. You see, I love John 3.16, and I think, by all means, put it up on a sign. 
But I also think that perhaps they should put this as a part of the sign, right? Verses 18 through 21 too. We actually had to add that. I don't think you've ever seen a sign that says that. As a fair warning. By all means, read John 3, 16. But you should keep going. Because you should be aware of the reality that when you begin to dive into that good news, when the light of Jesus Christ enters into you, it will begin to expose things that you do not want exposed. It will begin to shine into secrets and into brokenness that you would much prefer to remain hidden. And as it begins to move through you, you will begin to see places of darkness throughout the community or the world to which that light is calling you to go, which you would much prefer to just stay comfortable and safe. But you see, the good news, the light of Jesus Christ, as it begins to shine on you, it will ask you to change. It will make you more vulnerable. It will take you into darker places than you would have gone before. It is still good news. But that does not mean that you are then detached from the darkness that is within and without. The good news, of course, is that what you are willing to reveal to the light of Christ, he is willing to redeem. And then in those places where there is darkness, if we allow the light of Christ into them, while it may be painful, it can transform us into a new person born from above. John 3.16 is the gospel in a nutshell. It is good news. But that doesn't mean it's always simple for us to understand. I don't know why you're here today, but I do know this. You are here because the winds of the Spirit have swept you into this place on this day, December the 8th at 9.54 a.m. The winds of the Spirit have brought you here. You may not understand it. You may not understand the good news of the gospel, but that doesn't make it any less true. That Jesus came to this earth as the light of the world for you. The good news is that this is a community of Nicodemuses who, truth be told again, are oftentimes spend time in the darkness and yet who are journeying toward the light together. And my hope and my prayer is that you will receive this good news that you will hold on even through the challenges and difficulties, even through the vulnerability of that good news, that you would hold on to Jesus who is right next to you. And that you will remember that John 3.16 is for you. For God so loved the world. For God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, 
but shall have eternal life. Hallelujah. Amen? Let us pray. God, we know that you are the light of the world. And that you have come to this place, even this morning, by the winds of the Spirit. There may be some, Lord, who are uncertain of your love for them. Others, Lord, who have been, who've heard this message for so long and yet are in the midst of a confusing time when they don't quite understand as they wish they could. So I pray that they would know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you are there right next to them in the midst of their darkness. This is a place, Lord, where we can journey together. That your light would bring new life. It's in your name we pray. Amen.